0: Good morning, church. Good to see you. just want to say my hello as well. Uh, my name is Dave, one of the pastors here, and excited to open God's Word together. Uh, if you have a copy of Scripture, I'd encourage you to pull that out and open up to the book of Acts. If you don't have a copy of uh, Scripture, you are welcome to uh, use one of ours. Uh, you should be able to find one, in front of one of, in, uh, underneath one of the seats in front of you. And so I'd encourage you to get that out, put that on your lap, have that open so you can see uh, that we are hearing from, learning from, studying God's word this morning. Now, this is what we like to do here at City on a Hill. We open up God's word, we walk through its pages, and we ask God to uh, shape us and change us and uh, teach us uh, in and through that. And so together as a church, we are walking through the book of Acts. We've been uh, in this series for quite a while. We're gonna uh, continue on and uh, promise it's gonna start um, as we kind of approach the end. We'll kind of take bigger and bigger pieces of it. It starts going a little quicker here at the end, but we are more than halfway through. We've only got a couple months left, but it has been such a cool journey to see the way that the church began, uh, the the people of God uh, being sent out by Jesus himself. He said, go be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, and that's what they have been doing. And so we've seen the church built up and established, and over the last several weeks, we saw a few weeks ago, uh, the passage that we were in uh, was looking at the missional movement, the way that that, uh, the the mission of God uh, was, was going out and going forth, and new churches were being established established new works were were, were happening and then um, the week after that we saw a missional drift where uh, the kind of some some controversy and some uh, misunderstanding or, or, or miss um, uh, interpretation of some things kind of got started to get applied and they were disagreeing over that and so kind of this this drift that they were approaching and then last week pastor Jeff um, preached and we saw just the faithfulness of the church some examples of that faithfulness those um, kind of pictures of faithfulness well this morning uh, kind of keeping in a similar uh, theme to the the missional movement, we're going to see this morning some examples of missional impact. Um, so many times I think we think of uh, the, the, the whole mission, right, the, the region or the city or the church, and, and um, what, what we sometimes forget is the actual life change, the heart change of individuals that were a part of that. And I like to, and I've I've done it several times as we've gone through this study, trying to to zero in on the individual hearts, the individual lives that were impacted and and changed by uh, the word of God and by the gospel. And and what what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at three different people. We're going to see three different um, conversations that happen, three different conversions that take place, three different responses to the gospel, and each one sort of shows a different way that God can reach people and uses us to do so. And so what we're going to do, we're going to double back just a little bit. I want to, to kind of revisit the uh, story of Lydia. Uh, Pastor Jeff did a fantastic job. I'm not trying to you know, rework anything he did, but um, uh, he sort of showed, uh, really emphasized sort of the result of, of her decision. I want to kind of emphasize and look at what led to or what contributed to her decision to follow Jesus. And then we're going to see two more um, examples in that, and I think be encouraged in these, these stories of gospel missional impact. And so let's jump right into it. Let's begin in verse 11 of chapter 16 in the book of Acts. It says this So, setting sail from Troas, we made a voyage to Samothrace, and the following day, Neapolis, and then from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul after she was baptized, her and her household as well. She urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Um, here's what we're going to see. Uh, the very first example of this missional impact on the life of Lydia, it comes through this. It comes through intentional engagement. Intentional engagement. Intentional engagement. Uh, Paul, what he would so often do when he arrived into town, he would go to the place where he thought he could have the greatest impact, right? The most, the quickest sort of bang for the buck. Like, where, where can I go? Where will the message be received? Where were people going to hear it? And many times that was the synagogue. He would go to where God was already at work, and he would proclaim the Savior Jesus, and he says, hey, we've been following this God for a long time, and he has done a new work. He sent his son as the Savior of the world. His name is Jesus, and he would call for belief. Well, upon arriving in Philippi, again, as we saw last week, um, there was no synagogue. There must have not been a very large Jewish population there, and so on the Sabbath day, rather than going to the synagogue, he goes down to the river where there's these women gathering for prayer, And he's like, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. And he opened up the scriptures. They were studying together. Notice what happens. It says that uh, um, they sat down and spoke to the women who had come uh, together. Now, one of the things that I think we need to see and understand is that Paul was very intentional in finding this place. And in doing so, it wasn't much like the kind of a pulpit standing up in front preaching. He was opening up God's word and sitting down, and it was kind of more interactive. So think of more like a, if you've ever been a part of a Bible study. Like, that's kind of what they're doing, right? By, by the river, they're like, let's open up scripture, let's hear from it, let's, let's respond together. And so they're asking questions, answering questions, interacting around it. That's kind of what's happening here. It says he sat down and he's teaching. And one who was there was Lydia, and uh, we saw last week, and just to kind of again, some some of reminders, some to sort of draw out a little bit of this is that she was that seller of purple goods. Purple was an expensive color to achieve, and so if you had purple, uh, that means you had means, you had wealth. There, it was a status symbol as well, because only the elite, only the the rich would have that, and so. Um, we understand and we can even see just by the fact she has this house and she's opening it up to the, the people. She would have been a prominent person in the city, uh, a uh, successful businesswoman. Um, and she was probably doing very well for herself. She, she was a seller of purple goods. And it says here that she was also a worshiper of God. She was spiritually interested. And so that's why she was down there by the river and she was gathering with the women to pray. But notice that she was not yet God had not yet saved her. She was not yet a Christian. She was not yet a follower of Jesus because what happens next, it says that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And so there was a new work, a transformation that took place in her heart. So she was spiritually interested, but then she responded to the gospel. And here is, I think for us, a point of application that we need to see and understand. Um, I think maybe we need to look at and kind of ask ourselves the question, where are the places that we are intentionally seeking to engage with others about the message, the hope that's found in Jesus? Are there some places that we're being intentional in engaging with? Again, for Paul, he went and he found, like, where, where are spiritual conversations happening? Where can I share the hope of the gospel and where will it have the greatest impact? It was there by the river, I wonder you know, where for us are the places that we need to look for, that we need to see, that we can be intentional about sharing and engaging. You know, Similarly, this is, this is kind of what, what Paul would do, one commentator uh, sort of called it, like he would often try and find like the beachhead. Um, <laughs> he'd kind of identify the place, like where can I sort of get some ground um, and, and, and get some things sort of going here? We sort of did a similar thing when we were trying to plant and start this church here in Madison. Um, uh, this is our, our church. If, if you're new with us, you may not know this, we're, we're less than five years old and we started in, in 2017. And so um, as we were uh, trying to uh, sort of begin meeting and, and kind of build a core group, my uh, my family, uh, we were living in the uh, north side of Chicago and, and I was actually driving up here and kind of meeting with people. And the way that my weekly schedule would sort of go is um, I would drive up on, uh, well, we had our core group meetings on Sunday nights. So we were up here for that. But then Tuesday, Days I would leave really early in the morning. Um, I try and beat the sun because my goal was to get one, if not two, uh, sort of meetings in before the work day began. And and so Tuesday mornings I'd get in the car. It would you know crack a dawn and, and before uh, before dawn and uh, try and beat the sun up here and then try and sit down and, and share. And and I would my goal was to fill the entire day with meetings. And then my uh, brother lived here at the time along with his wife. And so I would crash on their floor. I would sleep overnight here and then I'd do the same thing all over again on Wednesday. My goal was to just fill it with people. I want to talk to people. I want to talk about the church. I want to share what God's doing, what he's laid on our heart, all, all the things that are happening. And my goal was this. I would first, my, my first priority in those meetings was anyone who was like spiritually interested, maybe they weren't even a follower of Jesus yet, but wanted to hear about, know about what God was doing in this church. And so um, I had people kind of coming out of the woodwork and sharing, I would, you know, we were running kind of Facebook stuff or posting things, or I would go into a coffee shop and I'm like, who in this room needs to hear about this church, you know? And they would, you know, I'm just like looking around, I'm like, there's got to be someone in the core group or there needs to be in the core group here. And so I'm kind of like watching people and, and hearing about that and kind of looking. And so I try and fill it first with that. Secondly, I would try and fill my day with um, uh, maybe people that uh, maybe necessarily weren't interested in the church, but just wanted to be a supporter or kind of a, a help in that or maybe could, you know, point me to some other people that maybe, maybe could. And then third, I would try and fill my day with meetings, um, with anyone who uh, was kind of connected with a Christian organization, so uh, I talked to the you know the folks over at 102.5 or at CareNet, or I reached out to all the campus ministers through the Campus College Ministry at UW, and and sat down with them and said, hey, we're planting this church, and got to you know trying to share about that, and then the fourth, I would meet with any pastor who was willing to meet with me, and and um, and just kind of again sharing and saying, hey, do you know of someone who I should talk to? Is there something? Because what I was doing is like trying to find some common ground. Right, and engaging in a place that I knew we could kind of meet on, and then share about this new thing that God was doing, and slowly and surely, God began to add to our number, and people uh, began to um, get excited about what God was doing, and we saw we saw um, this this group formed. You know, Paul was doing something similar. He he rolls into town. He's like, well, where's God already working? You know, different. I wasn't coming here. We weren't coming here um, to bring the gospel here for the first time. There's great churches. There's Christians that are following the Lord, there's, there's organizations and people serving the Lord faithfully, and so we wanna come alongside and contribute to and join with what God is doing. Paul here, it's like, there are no followers of Jesus. They don't even know who Jesus is. And so he's looking for the place, where has God been working? Where are people responsive uh, to God? See, I think we need to kind of ask the question, where around me is God already moving? Where is he already working that I can join with him in doing this work? There might be some places, some opportunities where we have and we just need to jump in with it. Is there already a starting place that you can build from? Right? Is there some common ground that you have? Is there, is there some things happening maybe in your workplace or with some of your neighbors or friends that you can kind of be a part of and, and, and begin there? You don't have to start from, scratch. That's one of the things that we see that Paul engages in. But one of the encouragements here, let me, let me show this to you. Notice how Lydia responds. What causes it? Well, it says that they sat down, they opened the word of God, right? They spoke to the woman, they, they taught them. But then it says at the end of verse 14, it says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. You see, Paul was faithful to share, but it was God who moved in her heart to bring her to the place of salvation, and that's a really good point for us to remember. See, we need to be really faithful to share and to always be willing to speak, and then the opportunity that we have to proclaim, realizing that it's God who softens the heart and it's God who makes the heart pay attention to what is being said. And some of you can point back to a time maybe in your life where you heard for years or you, you heard time and time again and then something clicked. One day you're like, oh man, I need to pay attention to this. Right? That's the Lord stirring, that's the Lord moving. And so we need to do our part, be faithful with the part that he's called us to, but then trust that he's gonna be the one that's going to move and call in someone's heart. He did this in Lydia. It says that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention. And then she responded with baptism, not just her, but her household, responding to that. It was this Bible study, this intentional engagement, and notice the truth of the gospel affected her. And this is the reality that we have to rest on and trust that the word of God being taught and preached has lasting impact upon its ears. The word of God does not return void. When the word of God is spoken, people are being transformed and changed by it. And I would just ask you this, is the Lord trying to open up your heart to pay attention to something that he's saying to you? You know, hopefully, my hope is this, that every time that we sit under the word of God, whether that's here in our services as we open up God's word together, or if that's in our small group, or maybe you're just sitting down with a friend or with a spouse, or you're just opening up God's word in your home, every time that we do that, would we walk away changed and impacted by it? God has something for you this morning. There is something that he wants you to hear. And that doesn't mean that there's always something that you need to go do. It might be, maybe the application out of today is there's something you need to put on your to-do list that you need to go from this place and do today, tomorrow, this week, sometime very soon. That might be the point of application for some of you. Others of you, maybe there's just something you need to just be reminded of. Maybe there's something you need to believe about God and who he is. Maybe there's a truth that you need to be encouraged by, or maybe there's something you need to be convicted of, and you need to stop, and you need to repent of, and you need to ask forgiveness for. You know, God is doing all of that. He's the one who opens hearts, who uses his word to bring us to a place of response. Would we be sensitive to what the Spirit is teaching us? You know, there was a great little moment that happened down in uh, St. Vincent a few weeks ago. Um... I was down there with one of our partner churches, as I've shared, and um, after teaching, one of the leaders came up and, and just kind of shared, and I was so thankful that he shared, but he said, he said, you know what, there was one point in that passage that really convicted me, and it was the point about kindness, and he said, I realized and was really convicted that I have not been super kind to the owner of this facility that we are meeting at. You see, the whole weekend was filled with just like, oh my goodness, they were not taking care of us, not very accommodating to where this retreat was. And this poor guy was just like back and forth with the owner and trying to do it. And he's like, I've lost my cool a couple times. I have not been the greatest witness to him. He's like, I feel so convicted. I need to go back and I need to just make sure that he knows that we are okay. And I don't wanna ever or do anything that would take away from the witness of Christ that I would have. He knows, he's like, he's not a follower of Jesus. He doesn't know Jesus. He knows that we do. And so I wanna make sure and just... It was such an amazing example of instant response to the word of God being spoken. I need to do this, and he did, and he acted upon it. He's like, I just need to share it with you. I need to share it with somebody so that I can be faithful to respond to that. Here's what we see happening just right here in the heart of Lydia. And now this prominent businesswoman in the city is a follower of Jesus. But notice it, it continues from there. Look at verse 16. It says, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl, who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. All right, what's going on here? Um, There is this girl and the word that's used there is communicating a little girl. She would have been young. So not a grown woman, a young, young girl and a spirit of divination, um, was a way of, of saying that she could speak and kind of tell of things that were not known. And notice she had been put into slavery for this. Her owners were making money off of her telling the future for people. And so people are coming and, and it's working, clearly. If they're making money off of it, she's, she's got to have some vision into the future. So there's like clairvoyance. She can kind of see what's coming. She's, she's sharing these fortunes. How's she doing this? Well, she is possessed by an evil spirit. She's possessed by a demon. That's what's happening here. She had this spirit of divination and she's being used for gain. I mean, what a tragic situation. And here's the reality of the, the situation. The, the impact that's gonna come for this little girl is different than what, the impact that was needed in Lydia's life. Because notice what happens next. Verse 18, it says, she kept doing this for many days. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Here's what happened in the life of this little slave girl is this, is that she had a powerful encounter. That's how she was impacted by the gospel. It was a powerful encounter. And I think it's, it's really important that we see this difference here, because she needed something special. She needed a move and work of God in her life different than uh, the, 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 the work that, that, that Lydia did. Her need was no greater than Lydia's need, but the access point, the way by which she responded was very different. See, we believe that there is, um, there are evil in, and is evil in this world, um, is something that the Bible teaches on. We're not gonna kind of unpack all of that and kind of speak to that, but I would just say this, that the demon possession is real. It still happens today. It happened here in in, uh, the time of of Paul and the church, um, and it still happens today. And and, and this was giving her the ability to share things and see things that she wouldn't have had otherwise. They were using this and kind of speaking into this, and and, and again, she was being exploited uh, for it. But notice that she was following around Paul and Silas and the rest of them, and she was crying out. That word there actually means like shrieking. So it's an annoying, like loud, obnoxious uh, kind of declaration that she was making. What was she saying? These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And you might read that and you're like, man, that sounds pretty right on. Like, Seems like she's got it. She knows what's going on. Well, she had, you know, again, this ability to see. She, she was able to tell fortune. So she's getting it, but here's the deal. You kind of read that and you're like, well, is she, uh, is she uh, attracted to the message? Is she, is she following these men because she is interested in it or is she attacking them? And I would say a little of both. Like, yes, she's, she's both attracted and attacking in that moment. And so what she's trying to do, and in which so often is the case, scripture says that the demons believe and they shudder. So the demons believe they know the truth of who Jesus is, but here's the thing: they can't do anything about it, and so rather than trying to contradict it or overcome it, she, they can't change anything about it. They're like, "Well, we're just going to distract everyone from it," and so she's following them around and just trying to, like, you know, create <laughs> create noise and create uh, distraction and to detract from the message that is happening. And it was working, it must have been, right? Because notice it says that Paul, having become greatly annoyed, I sort of love that. Um, here's the thing, one, one commentator sort of pointed out that it, things like that, you should be encouraged when you come across in God's word, statements like that. That's not like some sort of holy, righteous you know, like Paul's just so pious that this was like a Jesus annoyance. No, he's just like annoyed. <laughs> he's, he's kind of ticked at this moment. He's like, I'm kind of done with this little girl. Like, does she have to keep following us? This is getting frustrating here. And it doesn't put Paul in the best light. Um, you know, the commentator pointed out and said, like, if, if this really was, if, if, it's because, you know, if, if this isn't true, like this should give us uh, help to the veracity of scripture. That these kind of things are included in it, this great annoyance, because if it's not in here, like if it's just a, like a, a legend, right? You're trying to prop up these stories, these lore that we would have these guys that were kind of following after these women that were following after, and always putting them in the best light. Like you would say, like Paul moved with compassion, right? Saw this young girl and and you know was was you know broken over her situation, and so he responded, no, he's annoyed. And so like, it, just, it tells you, it's like, no, they're just telling the truth. They're sharing what really was happening. He was annoyed. And what does he do? He's like, get out of her. He says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. See, the name means something. You were known by your name. Your name carried your identity. And what he's saying, to say it another way, would be, the name of Jesus is greater than your name, so get out. And in that very hour, the Spirit left her. And here is the thing that we need to see and understand is that this is how it had to happen for this young girl. There is no way that she was just gonna find herself at the side of the river, sitting down with the women and engaging in a Bible study, right? Like she was never gonna get there. And so God in his grace met her in a different way And right there on the streets, Paul was able to speak into her life and there was a powerful encounter. And the thing that most plagued her, this ownership of this spirit, the ownership of her slavery, Jesus broke those chains in a word. In the name of Jesus, I command you, come out of her. You see, God has the power to break any chain. He has the power to set any captive free. And in that moment, that is what she needed. She needed a powerful encounter with the God of creation to set her free from the captivity of the sin that she is in, both that she has committed and that has been done to her. See, not only has she been... uh, exploited through these owners, but she's been abandoned by her family. Notice that it doesn't say like this is not her family that's doing this. These are owners. So this means like her family sold her into the slavery. Her parents sold this young girl. And who needs a powerful encounter more than this young slave here? God moved powerfully to reach this girl. And I would just say this, Some of you, that is what you need in your life. You need a powerful encounter with the living God. There is bondage in your life, there is captivity in your life, and you need the power of God to work in your situation. And I would just tell you that the name of Jesus is strong enough. The name of Jesus can overcome. And anything that you are going through, God is greater in that. And that doesn't mean that it always just goes away with the snap of the finger or all, all all the problems just sort of go away at the name of Jesus. That's not what it's saying, but it is saying that Jesus has the power to save. And so let's turn to him, let's call out to him, let's look to him. And if you are in this place, this is what you need. You don't need another Bible study. You don't need to go to the river and pray. You just need a fresh encounter with God Himself. That's what happened right here. And we, though it, it doesn't, it kind of moves quickly on from it, I think the assumption is, is that this led to salvation, right? That this, this led to her life, in her, in her life, that she was transformed by this. It was a powerful encounter. Well, let's continue on, verse 19, see what happens next. Her owners didn't like it very much. Verse 19, it says, when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they're like, well, we can't make money off her anymore. She doesn't have the spirit. They were upset. They seized Paul and Silas. They dragged them into the marketplace Before the rulers. And when they brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. What are they doing? They're throwing false accusations, trying to stir up dissent against them. Antisemitism was like alive and well at that time. And so to point out these men are Jews, more than that, they're like trying to take us, like to stir up trouble here in this city. And verse 22, the crowd responded, joined in and attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted upon them many blows, we're not just talking a hit or two, they were beaten down, many blows upon them. They threw them into the prison, having the jailer, ordering the jailer to keep them safe. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. So let me just give you the picture. I think it's helpful for us to see. I mean, they would have been beaten up and bruised at this point, probably bloody. And they're put in the inner prison. This would have been a place of darkness, of uh, stench, damp. And then on top of it, he puts their feet in stocks. And again, don't don't picture like um, if you've ever been to some old-timey, you know, like touristy town and you kind of like get your you know, your hands in the, in the stocks and take that picture or like cartoons, you know, that sort of thing. That's not really what it was. It was more, um, they would have either been suspended from like the ceiling or uh, stretched so far out that it would have led to like muscle cramps and just severe pain. So having been beaten, now they're in stocks and they're in this innermost part of the prison. But notice what happens next. What do they do? About midnight, that very night, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners, they were listening to them. What a picture, right? They've just been beaten. They've just been falsely accused. They've been imprisoned. And now they're still praising God. And here's what we're gonna see. There's gonna be impact that comes from this. Let me give you the point. You can continue to kind of follow with this. It's this. We're gonna see what they're doing here is they are being a faithful example. They're being a faithful example in this moment of trial and difficulty and difficulty. And here's, I think, something that we need to understand, church. If you are a follower of Jesus, let me let me say this to you and, and, and let's remember this. How we as followers of Jesus walk through trials matters. The way that we walk through trials matter. And we've said it many times before. It's not if but when. Trials are coming. If you're not in one now, there's one coming soon. We have to be ready for it because it is coming and we have to be willing to walk through it. But how we do that matters. The world is watching, the prison is watching. As we're gonna see in a moment, the jailer is watching. And how do they respond? Well, they respond with prayer and singing in their darkest place. And the reality is this, and and don't, don't mishear me here, you may be in the midst of a most difficult trial and you may not feel like singing. And I'm not telling you that you need to feel like singing. I don't think that they felt like singing. I don't know who suggested it. I don't know if it was kind of simultaneous. Was it Silas? Was it Paul? Like, hey, we should sing. Was one of them like, man, I do not feel like doing that right now. (laughs) I don't know what they did to you, but I feel pretty bad. That That is not the first thing on my mind, right? But what do they do? They pray together They sing together. They're declaring, when they're singing hymns, they're declaring God's character and goodness for all to hear. That's what the singing does. And they're singing to him. They're praising him. See, they they didn't feel like singing, but they needed to sing. Why? Because they still had reason to sing. Jesus is still on the throne. God is still in control. He still loves them. He's still present. He's still working. None of that has changed. Their situation Their physical situation has changed, but none of that about who God is has changed. And so they're gonna sing. They're gonna declare. And maybe you've been in that place where you've come and you're like, you know what? I don't feel like going to church this morning, but I need to. And then you get in here and then you start singing the songs. You're like, I don't feel like declaring that truth. But then you sort of make yourself. And then what happens? So many times in that place, what happens is we, as we declare the truth that we know to be, even when we don't feel, all of a sudden, our hearts begin to respond and change. And we are reminded, yes, that is true. God, I know I feel this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose to believe this. Just because I think this doesn't mean that this is not true. Doesn't, just because this. And you've been there before. You, you know what we're talking. That's what they're doing here. They're, they're coming back to the truth that they know about God. And then what happens as a result? God works. Verse 26, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Immediately, all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Like, that was cool, right? Like, that's amazing. Like, we we were singing. It didn't happen so far. I'm just, you know, we'll see if it happens afterwards. Like, we were singing in the first service and, like, there's a huge pop in our sound system that we get sometimes, right? Like, that's what happens when we're singing. I don't know what, we gotta sing different songs. They're singing and, like, the prison door's open, bonds are falling off. Well, look what happens, verse 27. The jailer woke, saw that the prison doors were open. He assumes everyone's gone. And so he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing everyone had escaped. But Paul cried out in a loud voice. He says, do not harm yourself for we are all here. What an incredible move of compassion. They had, they certainly could have, right, run and left. They didn't, they stayed. They stayed. What's happening here with the, with the jailer? Well, a couple things I think we need to know about him. One is that um, it would have been common, our best guess would be that this guy is like ex-military, that he uh, served in the Roman army, uh, that he would have been some sort of official captain, you know, had some rank. What often happened is when they would retire, they would get some cushy sort of jailer job. And so that was the retirement play. You come and watch and kind of take care of uh, this jail. And so that's what was happening. They were, this, this, this jailer would have been this Gentile Roman soldier hardened from war. But what happens is when these doors were open, assuming it says that he thought all everyone escaped, this would have been great dishonor. Uh, the chances of, of or the result would probably have been that he would have been killed or executed for his failure to perform the job that he was entrusted with. And so rather than be killed uh, under the, uh, the law, it was more honorable to why don't you go ahead and take your own life and just end it now. That's what he was doing. And so with his sword, he was about to take his life. And Paul, how easy would it have been? I mean, again, they've just been falsely accused, imprisoned, put in stocks. The jailer was the one that did this, that carried this out. How easy would that have been to just let him carry on with that? And they didn't. Paul's like, no, stop right there. We're still here. What incredible compassion. What extravagant grace do we see there? You know, it doesn't really ever explain why did they stay? Like, why didn't they leave? And I believe this. I believe they believed that God still wanted to use them there in those prison walls that God was still gonna do a work there. And so yes, the doors were open, yes, the bounds were off, but that God was gonna use that for an even greater work than them just getting to go free. And sure enough, he calls out, and what does he do? Verse 29, the jailer called for lights, rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before them, Paul and Silas, and then brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Right? He's like, what do I do? Clearly, you have a path for me. You know what I need to do. What do I need to do to be saved? I don't know if he knew or heard about what the girl had been saying. I don't know if he heard you know, the, the songs. Can you imagine being the jailer that night? They're like, what is that that I hear? What, what's going on down there? Are they singing? He goes and checks it. Yeah, they're singing. You know, did, he, did he hear about what they were singing about all night? But what did they respond? One of the clearest, most succinct answers to this question that we see in the book of Acts. It says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Not just for you, this is for anyone. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're gonna be saved. It doesn't get much clearer than that. You wanna know what you need to do to be saved? You need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he will save you. Well, right there immediately, it says, they spoke the word to him and to all who were in the house and he took them that same hour that night washed their wounds and he was baptized at once. He responded, he and all his family. And then he brought them up into his house and he set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Man, this is such a great picture of the progression of change that takes place in someone's heart. Can I just illustrate? Can I kind of point this out for you what's happening here? It begins in the heart of the jailer with godly grief. For so many of us, this is the place that it has to begin. We have to see our sin for what it is. We have to see our need for what it is. And it's godly grief. We need to be broken over our sinful state. That, I think, is what was happening right there in verse uh, 29. Right? He trembled with fear and fell down before Paul and Silas. He asked, what must I do? There was grief over his state. But godly grief leads to godly repentance, So godly grief leading to godly repentance. You see repentance, like repentance is stopping and going the other way. Well, what does he do? It says that same hour he took them and he washed their wounds and then he brought them up to his house and he's fed them. So the same jailer who was putting them in jail, who was executing the orders that were given to him is now washing them and feeding them, clothing them. It's repentance. It's a turning and a going of the other way. And then godly obedience Godly repentance, he use godly obedience. That same hour, it says that he was baptized at once, he and his family. That's obedience. He's like, I want everyone to know. I want to declare without a doubt that I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. There was obedience there, and that all led to godly joy. It says that he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. They were rejoicing that night. There was joy that had never filled those walls before. And where did it all begin? It began, I believe, with a faithful example. You have the men, Paul and Silas, praying, singing through their trial, staying put in their situation so that they were there for that jailer in the time of need. And now he, not just he, but his entire household was now saved by the power of Jesus Christ. New life was brought there. it kind of unpacks what happens next. It's, it's kind of this interesting um, you know, sort of thing that, <laughs> that happens in verse 35. It says, it was day, and the magistrate sent the police saying, let those men go. They figured, right, they'd, you know, they learned a lesson. They're gonna, they, they won't do that again. And so verse 36, the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out, go in peace. And Paul's like, no way. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, they didn't know that, and they have thrown us into prison, and do they now throw us out secretly? He's like, no way, that's in the Greek, the the way part, no way, let them come themselves and take us out. They're like, you can't, they're not going to send someone else, let them come, and the police reported these words back to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. You know, uh, some historians say that there was grave consequences if you were to betray kind of uh, not honor the, the, the rights that were given to a Roman citizen, so much so that an entire town could be wiped out if it was found that your officials, your leadership, was not respecting the rights of Roman citizens. And so at once, they came, they apologized to them, right? So now they're kind of wringing their hands, they're apologizing, sorry, uh, we didn't know. Like, why don't you tell us? You know, that would have been helpful to know, like, before. So they came, apologized to them, and they took them out, and they asked them to leave the city. So when they went out of the prison and visited Lydia... And they were, uh, when they had seen the brothers, and, and read that with brothers and sisters, they went to the church. That's what it's saying there. When they saw the church, they encouraged them and departed. What's Paul doing there with this Roman citizen thing? Well, he's trying to set up the church for success going forward, right? He's like, he's like, he's like hey, you can just push us around and do whatever you want, all right? The message of Christ is going to go forward, and so we're going to claim these rights that are ours. But this picture that I love, and I want to kind of wrap us up with this, is, is what happens there at the end. It says they went out of that prison, visited Lydia. You know, they saw the brothers and the sisters, encouraged them and departed. This is where they are leaving the church at this point. And let's just review who's in the church so far. It's an awesome picture. You have Lydia, prominent businesswoman, right? Seller of purple goods. And she has now come to a saving faith in Jesus, her and her household. And she's hosting these meetings. And so there's for sure her. Now you've got, again, we can assume that the little girl was saved, the slave girl was saved to salvation. So now you have this slave that's a part of this new church in Philippi and she's now a part of this group. And now you've got this Gentile jailer who's a part of the church there along with his household. And so you've got this woman, the slave, and this Gentile. And Paul and Silas are departing, encouraging them, and they are left to build up and establish this church. And they do. They do. The church continues to prosper and grow, and we see and we read some of the letters later as Paul's writing to encourage them. There's overseers, there's deacons, there's, there's structure in that, there's, there's, there's a, a, a group that goes, but it begins with these three individuals, the impact on these lives. And I love it that God meets each of them, the businesswoman, the slave girl, the jailer, right where they were at, and he impacts their heart in exactly what they needed. The intentional engagement, the powerful encounter, the faithful example, all of them have impact there. And one of the things, I don't know if this is kind of the point of why Luke sort of writes it in this way and puts it in this way in the book of Acts, but I can't help but think it was intentional because there is a prayer that Jewish men have prayed for a very, very long time and would have been present even in this place. You know what the prayer is? The prayer is this, God, thank you that you did not make me a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. It's not very culturally uh, kind or nice at all, right? It's not, not endorsing the prayer. That's just the prayer that Jewish men would pray. Thank you for not making me a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. What does God use here to start the church in Philippi? A woman, a slave, and a Gentile. You see, here's the truth that I think God's words preaches and teaches us over and over and over again the gospel is for everybody, it's for anybody who would respond and who would hear. See, I think we need to be reminded of this time and time again. None of us are too far gone that God cannot reach us with his power, with his saving grace. There is no one that you are praying for that's on your heart now that is beyond the reach of God. Here was this people existing in a town that hadn't even received the gospel yet and that comes in there and reaches the most unlikely corners of the city. This businesswoman, this little slave girl, and this Gentile Roman jailer. God can work in even the hardest heart, even the furthest situation. The gospel is for everybody. It's for social and economic elites. It's for the outcast. It's for those that are hurting. It's for those that are broken. It's for the confidence, for the self-righteous. It is for all sinners who recognize their need and it has the power to set free. See, it wasn't just those prison doors, those prison walls, those prison bonds that were loosed. I mean, Lydia was set free. The slave girl was set free. The jailer was set free. God is opening up prison doors all over the place there. And I think we have this just this little picture of what happens there in Philippi, and it's just a picture of the power and the impact of the gospel, And so, church, would this just be a reminder for us today? If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, if you've never believed in Jesus as your Savior, I would say don't delay. You can respond today to the truth. Jesus came and he died that we might have the forgiveness of sins and have new life in him. That is the truth of the gospel. And just like in these lives, I believe that God is still encountering us today. Some of you maybe need to hear that today and you need to respond, you need to believe and you can be saved. There is life in Jesus. Others of us, maybe it's really helpful for us to be reminded of the power of the gospel right before Easter weekend. As we've already said, you know, there's people that maybe we've been inviting or wanting to come and hear about the truth of of, of Jesus that, that maybe will come this weekend. Can we be intentional to ask? Can we be intentional to invite to Easter Sunday and to say, would you come, would you hear something that's so dear to me that I believe and I believe it's helpful for you? Can we be intentional and trust the power of the gospel to transform and to change lives? I believe that God is still doing that. We believe that, right? As a church, we are committed to this. We know that there is only hope that's found in Jesus. So many times, you know, um, people come into church and they're like, man, it feels like they're always trying to get me to believe, believe in this Jesus, Like, why are you always trying to get me to believe in Jesus? They're like, you are exactly right. We are definitely up here trying to get you to believe in Jesus, okay? If you have, has that not been amply clear at this point? Let me just say it. I want you to believe in the truth and the hope that's found in Jesus. Why? Because we believe that is the only hope that we have. And so if you're inviting, if you're sharing, you're like, man, I think you're trying to get me to believe something. I for sure am. Because here's the thing. I believe that it is the only place that we're going to find life in godliness, the only place that we're gonna find the forgiveness of sin, the only place that we're gonna find the hope that we need so well. And so yes, we are proclaiming the truth about Jesus and hoping and praying that all will receive it, right? That anyone who will hear, we wanna declare this truth to because we want to see our Lord, our Savior, glorified here in this place. We know that is the day of glory is coming we're gonna see him clearly for who he is and so we are just gonna proclaim him and be his witnesses until that day. That's exactly what we see here in this passage. We can be so encouraged by our great God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the hope of the gospel. God, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus. You are so great, God. You are so good. Your grace is beyond anything that we can understand or comprehend. Lord, who are we that you would die for us? Jesus, who are, you, who are we that you would come in our place? But Jesus, that's exactly what you did. And so I just wanna pray and ask God for us together here right now that we would understand just how great you are. God, just how vast your love is. God, just how powerful your ability to transform and to work and to move. Lord, would we be encouraged? I know many of us, we are burdened over the relationships around us. And we're asking that you would do the same thing that you did in the heart of Lydia. Would you open, would you open their heart to hear, to respond to, to understand the truth of who you are? God, help us to be faithful wherever it is that you have us. God, in the trial, in the difficult season, Lord, would we point to you and would our belief in you be a testimony that others would see that there is a real hope. God, we believe what we say we believe. You are good. God, would you be exalted here? We pray this in the name of your son, amen.